This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Making the most of this glorious weather that we're having at the minute and still off from work. So timed it well for once with the weather. Normally a week of rain when I'm on annual leave. But yeah, for once it's it's worked out quite nicely. How are, how are things at your end? Yes, not bad. Unfortunately, I'm not on annual leave. But um, nonetheless, I'm still enjoying the sunshine in the back garden at the uh, whenever possible. And yeah, it's come at a decent time. It's weird. We had no good weather in July whatsoever. And then at the back end of September, it's decided to, to be glorious. So making the most of it, it's good. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of the international break right now. But with the summer transfer window closing last Friday, it seemed like a good opportunity for us to sit down and reflect on the best business of the window and also the teams that we think have left themselves a little bit short. So on today's podcast, we're going to be ranking our best five clubs of the transfer window and the uh, the five teams we think that have done the worst business. So a little bit different from the usual match analysis, but I'm looking forward to it. As always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum of devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour, we're going to be dissecting the biggest winners and losers of the summer transfer window. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we've, we've decided to, to pool our efforts for this uh, ranking, so we've, we've both got the same. There's no arguments, but we're both going to go through why we think uh, we've put each team where it is. And I'm very happy to say that we both had the same team at the top of the pile that we think have had the best transfer window out of all 24 clubs. And that was Birmingham City. And that was quite an easy decision for both of us because when you look at how they transformed their squad this summer and the work they've done, both in terms of adding depth and also adding immediate quality and strengthening the spine and the starting 11, they've, they've ticked it off really in, in every department. When you look at the biggest upgrade is surely in the fullback department where they've added three top-end championship fullbacks, in my opinion, Ethan Laird, uh, Lee Buchanan and Cody Drama. I think they've got three of the best fullbacks in the league. So it's going to be interesting to see which of those misses out. I fear it could be Drama and he obviously played a massive part in helping Luton get promoted last season. Um, Ethan Laird has got the potential, I think, to be a Premier League player. Buchanan... Looked very good at times at Derby, a little bit raw at times, but obviously went to Werder Bremen, come back now to England, and he's made a really, really good start to his career down that left-hand side. But when you look at the spine of the team as well, they've, they've brought in Dion Sanderson on a permanent deal from Wolves. They brought uh, Christian Bielik back from Derby County on a permanent deal. And then they've added added some quality. They've added some star factor in the final third, haven't they, with Siriki Dembele obviously being the star star man on the, right, on the left-hand side. They've brought in Mayoshi, who... Gives them some depth and another option there. Keshi Anderson's been a great pickup on a free transfer too. And then Jay Stansfield's made a fantastic start to life in the second tier. And what I like about all of these players is, I think all of them have got a little bit of risk factor with them. And Birmingham are making the most of them. And they've gone, you're, you, you've got a little bit of risk, but you've got high potential. 
We're going to take a punt on you and we're going to back ourselves. We're going to back John Eustace to get the best out of you. Someone like Ethan Laird, for example, he has had mixed spells in the championship on loan, despite how much we rate him. Buchanan had got little bits of his game, particularly defensively, he needed to work on from his time at Derby. Sanderson um, had had a very good loan at Birmingham, but he'd also had not a very good loan at Queen's Park Rangers, for example. Felix got not the best injury record. Dembele's not played much football over the last 18 months. Uh, Mayoshi and Stansfield untested at this level. But you combine them all together and you you get a manager in John Eustace who wants to develop these players. And I think they've they've done some really good business. They've not paid a lot of money for these players either. They're not insignificant amounts when you combine it all together. They've not splashed the cash ridiculously. And then I think they've done good business outgoings in terms of the money they got for Tahif uh, Chong. I definitely think they've got the better of some of these deals, personally. And I think Birmingham City, by far, in my opinion, have had the best transfer window of the summer. Completely agree. I mean, we're both neutrals viewing Birmingham City. And throughout the summer, we've both been speaking about the the work that Birmingham City have done. It's been remarkable what they've achieved on and off the pitch so far this season. A lot of that has been reflected in the transfer business that they did across the summer. Obviously, the takeover went through. And it's just injected a new lease of life into the club and the owners immediately have poured money in, in in terms of getting players in. And they don't necessarily splash the cash in terms of big, big mega books on these players, but they're sensible, they're strategic signings. And as you've said, they're quite low risk, but very high reward. So you, you look at the likes of Jay Stansfield that have come in on loan, Cody Drame, very sensible young players, a lot, to, a lot of potential about them. Then you look at the permanence they've done, Ethan Laird being one, Dion Sanderson, Sanderson obviously there, on loan previously, he's only 23. A lot of room for growth with him. Buchanan the same. Keshi Anderson initially had a trial. So they've they've varied their recruitment in terms of what they've done, obviously. They've gone out and bought a few for undisclosed fees. They've snapped a few on free, con- uh, on free deals after their contracts expired and used four loan spots as well. And they didn't use any of those loan spots until the final week of the transfer window, which was quite impressive for Birmingham, bearing in mind how reliant they've been on the loan, loan market in previous years. So I think John Eustace has, has had a summer to remember, to be fair, as of the Birmingham City fans. The recruitment's been really smart and sensible and the results are reflecting that so far. Obviously, still unbeaten so far this season at this current international break. I think the, the deadline day business was quite intriguing. Cody Drame coming in on loan from Leeds, as you've mentioned, was very, very good in the second half of last season at Luton, played a key role in them getting up. Oliver Burke... Been hit and miss in previous years, but I think if you can unlock his full potential, there is certainly a player in there. Obviously, didn't quite work from at Millwall last season, didn't quite work at previous loan spells at Sheffield United, and uh, then he obviously had that three year spell at West Brom where it didn't quite work out either. But at Forest, when he was coming through the ranks, there was certainly a player in there. So if Birmingham can unlock that, they've got a player in there. Um, I think of all the signs, though, that excites me the most is, is probably that of Jay Stansfield. Did really, really well on loan at Exeter last season. Birmingham, as we as we have constantly said throughout the summer, they needed to get an upgrade in terms of their number nine position. Obviously, Jukovic and Scott Hogan have been there, done it, got the T-shirt. Very, very experienced players. Will almost certainly get you close or certainly into double figures each season. They've still got that in within their, within their lockers. But they just needed that extra injection of maybe a little bit of pace, a little bit of trickery at the top end of the pitch. And Jay Stansfield... Admittedly, it's a gamble at 20 years of age. He's never played in the championship before, uh, certainly on a regular basis. Only had a few appearances here and there with Fulham. Went on loan to Exeter last season and did quite well. So there is potential for him to thrive. And 
he's had a good start so far, two goals in two league appearances. So whether Birmingham will rue not getting a more sort of higher profile number nine, we shall see. But you never know. We've seen youngsters drop into the championship in the past and deliver Tom Cannon being one only as recently as last season. So Birmingham, so many boxes have been ticked and there's so much excitement about it. And like I say, results so far have proven that their their strategy is working. Five games played, five undefeated. So really impressive. And like we've said, when it came to picking the, the team that had the best window, I, I don't think it was possible to look past what Birmingham did. I don't think we should forget, although it's not technically transfer business, tying George Hall down to a new long-term contract as well yep. is a massive, massive step for Birmingham. He's obviously been very highly rated, linked with Leeds United when they were in the Premier League, but other suitors as well. And as an England youth international as well, he's someone that's definitely got a bright future. was really, really good when I watched him at uh, St Andrews at the back end of last season too. So hopefully he'll have a, a bit, have a bigger part to play for this team as well as the season progresses. In second place, George, why don't you give us the uh, the breakdown of, of where we've gone for number two? Yeah, in second place, we uh, we went for Hull City, didn't we? And they were another side that enjoyed a really, really impressive summer in terms of upgrading their overall level of recruitment. Much improved on, on previous years. And we, we've seen with Hull, they're a team that are now looking to make that step into becoming genuine playoff contenders again. And you look at the signings that they did throughout the summer, really. Obviously, it started a little bit slowly. But then things did pick up, certainly towards the latter stages. And on deadline day, they had a bit of a flurry towards the end. But arguably, their their most impressive signing, certainly on paper, is probably that of Scott Twine on loan from Burnley. Obviously, last season, his campaign was hampered by injury woes. It was really, really unfortunate after such a stellar season at MK Dons in 21-22, where his numbers were absolutely phenomenal. They've also brought in Liam Delap, who yeah, admittedly didn't quite work out at Stoke or Preston on loan last season. But as I said on last week's episode, after he scored that winner at Leicester, you don't come through Manchester City's academy if you've got nothing about you. And he's had quite a quite a favourable start to life at Hull, a couple of goals and assists in his first five league games. And I think when you look at what else they've done it alongside bringing in the likes of Delap and Twine, who are obviously exciting loan signings, obviously the statement addition on deadline day that of of Jaden Philogene on loan at Cardiff last year, come in for about £5 million, I think it is, from Aston Villa. Quite a statement. You, you could have seen him going to a, with, with respect to Hull, a more higher-profile championship club with bigger aspirations and bigger expectations on their shoulders. But Hull, obviously, have shown the ambition throughout the summer to get these sort of players in. He's come in, 21 years of age, and looking forward to seeing how he gets on in the coming weeks and months after the international break. And then, of course, Aaron Connolly back from Brighton as well. That strengthened their, their attacking options even further. So there's been a big emphasis from Hull this summer on their attacking play to just try and add that extra bit of firepower, that extra flash of creativity. And alongside the, obviously, I was on two fans. He's still there. Um, we, we've seen Regan Slater step up in recent months. They, they've got a lot of options going for them, Hull, now. And we both said at the start of the season, in our 1-24s, we were such huge fans of Liam Rossini. I really rate him highly as a manager. But the squad just lacked that quality and that depth to kick on this season to sort of match what he is as a manager. But since we made those predictions, Hull have made significant strides. And again, it's been reflected in their start to the season. They've had a really encouraging start. So Hull, second best um, transfer, market, transfer window in terms of the championship clubs. Really, really impressive. And like I said on last week's episode... That there is a lot of potential for this whole city side to enjoy a very, very good season. 
Yeah, I think all I would add on that is, as you say, when we did our 1-24s, to we were aligned with Hull City. We both put them in 17th place, and that was a lot lower than quite a few other similar um, podcasts and, and EFL shows. I just felt they were missing the quality, as you said, in the final third. I liked Rossini. I like what he's about. I like his how he speaks. I like his philosophies. But he's not enough of a sure bet that I could elevate the squad higher than that, than 17th at the time. Since then, they've gone and done some serious business, adding quality in the final third, which you've touched on. And I've equally been really, really impressed with Liam Delap in the, the opening weeks of the season. He's looking more like the all-round forward. He just looks a bit more bullish, a bit more confident, a bit more yeah. like he's strutting his stuff. And that comes down to man management as well of Liam Racine, yeah, who's managed to to really find a role for him and use his athleticism because I, I didn't really realise how much of an athlete he was. Whereas the assist you see for the goal against Bristol City, for example, for Tufan, it's a great driving run. Similarly, played on the right-hand side um, rather than down the middle against Leicester because they wanted to exploit that space left by Callum Doyle when he were tuck in as sort of the third centre-back in build-up. And he's a, he's, a, he's a weapon on the counter-attack, as well as obviously having the physical attributes to play as a number nine. So very impressed with Hull's business as well towards the back end of the window. In third place, we've gone for Leeds United. Now, Leeds took their time, it's fair to say, to get going. And a month ago, we were probably saying they were a little bit in crisis in the transfer window. But in the last four weeks or so, they've certainly stepped things up and certainly improved. Joel Perrault is probably the best signing of the summer by any championship club, in my opinion, because not only is he... No one's guaranteed goals, but he's as good as. Nobody has scored more goals in the last two seasons in the championship that currently still plays in the second tier. But I think he's a really good fit for this Daniel Farker side as well because I think he can be that perfect number nine slash number 10, almost a nine and a half, if you will, where he's got that goal threat. He's got the instincts in the final third, but equally he's capable of playing. He's capable of linking and knitting towards play. And when you've got direct runners like Willie Nonto on one side, what would have been Sinistera, but it's now Jane Nantony, which given that they were going to lose Sinistera, I think they've got as good a replacement as they probably could have hoped for with uh, Anthony coming in the other way. He'd had a very good season, of course, with Bournemouth when they got promoted um, 18 months or so ago. So if you've got those direct runners and you've got someone like Jorginho Ruta, who is Raw, it's fair to say, but he's got good attributes. You need someone with a little bit of composure on the ball, a little bit of finesse who can just tie things together and also has the experience of having the weight of being the goal scorer on his shoulders. So I think he's just a really good pickup um, for this Daniel Farker setup in the 4-2-3-1. They've improved the midfield options, which they need to do. Ampadu has, has slotted in really well. I did worry a little bit that they were going to put too much on the shoulders of Archie Gray. Um, who's had a brilliant start to the season, but he's just a teenager. So Glenn Kamara coming in, I think, is important. Joe Rodon's an upgrade on what they had at centre-half. And even someone like Carl Darlow, I think, is a really clever pickup. Who I think they probably signed him with the thought that Ilan Meslier would probably leave. He hasn't. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage the two of them. But if Meslier had gone, Darlow would have been more than good enough to be Leeds United's number one this season for me. So... They've managed to keep Willie Nonto as well. And I think now they will kick on. And I think Farker will really, really be pleased that the transfer window is shut and they can now settle down. He knows what he's got to work with and he can kick on from there. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of that because we got to, what, a couple of weeks before the season started and Leeds United were basically season-long loan FC in terms of departures, weren't they? It was just a flurry of household names going out on loan. The likes of Lorente, Robin Cock, Rocker, uh, Jack Harris and another one. And... Eventually, you did start to think when a Leeds actually going to be able to get players through the door. But once they once they started that process, the signings were really, really good. And 
I think Leeds, to be fair to them, they, they brought in a total of nine players during the summer and I think all of them are very, very good pickups. Probably Ilya Gruev from Ferdinand Bremen, probably the only one that we don't really know anything about. But Joel Perrault, they've signed arguably one of the best strikers in the Championship of the last couple of years. As you've mentioned, he's got that ability to drop and play as the number 10 to link things. And then you look further afield, you look at Darlow, as you've mentioned, Jed Spence coming in on loan from Tottenham Hotspur. We all knew what he did the last season, last time he was in the Championship at Nottingham Forest. Absolutely flourished at that right-back role. So that's a really good pick-up if you can get the best out of him after a difficult year at Spurs last year and out on loan in France. Jaden Anthony came in alone on deadline day and it kind of went under the radar a bit because of Sinistera going the other way. And that was kind of the dominant part of that deal. But at the same time, Jaden Anthony, the last time he was in the Championship with Bournemouth in 21-22, he had an excellent season, got eight goals and, and seven assists. He was a constant menace down that left-hand side. And I think I actually put him in my championship team of the season that year, if memory serves me right. And I'm a big, big fan of his. And then you look at what else they've done. And the names you've mentioned, Joe Rodon, Carl Dahl obviously coming in. And Ampadu's been a real, real asset in, in midfield so far. And obviously Sam Byron's come back, just adds a little bit of depth, can play either full-back role. So I think Leeds, their signings, though it took a while, I think they've done some of the best business in the division in terms of statement signings this summer. They've they've assembled a squad for me that is, on its day, probably one of the best teams in the division in terms of starting eleven. obviously. You factor in then that they kept hold of Willie Nonto after that standoff. Would he stay? Would he go? They've managed to retain him. Patrick Bamford's still there. I know he's a bit more like Patrick Bamford, but you're likely to get some goals out of him. Dan James is still there. Somerville. There is a lot of firepower in that Leeds team. There really is. And obviously, defensively, they've strengthened and still got one or two to come back from injury. So I think there's a lot to like about the squad Daniel Farker has eventually assembled. And obviously, there has been a bit of an emphasis on the, the length of time it's taken to get his squad in the position he'd like it to be in. But now the window's done. A couple of weeks on the training ground to prepare for the for the restart of the season. Leeds should be confident that they can mount a promotion charge this season. They've got the players to do it. They've got a very experienced manager at this level who knows what it takes. So really, it's just a case of hopefully now moulding it all together and getting it to click because the ingredients are there for it to work. And like I say, the majority of Leeds' signings of championship level, they are statement additions. And in fourth place, we've gone for Plymouth Argyle, one of the newly promoted teams, George. And obviously, the headlines have been grabbed all summer by Barley Mumba, Morgan Whitaker. I want to talk about some of the other players they bought, though, that have made a really good impact. Um, Connor Hazard in goal has had a really, really good start, considering how good Michael Cooper is. As their number one obviously got injured um, in, the, in the New Year period with a long-term injury. So they, they sort of muddled through to the end of the season. But Hazard's come in and did really well. I was really impressed with him, particularly in the Southampton game, which I watched live on Sky. Um, and he's been excellent in goal. But someone in, even like Lewis Gibson, who started straight in at left centre-back, Lewis Gibson had a loan spell at Sheffield Wednesday and played about 30 minutes all season because he just couldn't stay fit. Then dropped down a level to go on loan at Plymouth uh, to Bristol Rovers, had a good season, and then he's made the permanent move now to Plymouth and he's slotted in and shown the quality that had been seen in glimpses and he's staying fit, which is which is really important for him. They've got Finazaz back into the squad on loan from Aston Villa, who's a really good pickup. Um, he's, he gives them something different in midfield in that number 10 role, so someone who can shoot from range as well. And I just think they've done really good business across the pitch. Someone like Luke Kundal, I thought, had a good season with Swansea last year from Wolves. Um, he'll give them more depth in midfield as well. And it's been interesting how they've changed from a back three last year. They've gone to a back four. 
they played predominantly. Um, obviously, Barley Mumba as a, a right wing back or even on the left wing back. Instead, he's playing on the left wing. Him and Whitaker are playing really high, really attacking. They are the match winners. And it's interesting to me that Schumacher's ditched the back three. He's gone for more of a back four. They've got they've got Joe Edwards at right back and they've got Kane Castellan. He's never played left back before in his life. And he's playing just as a left back with Barley Mumba in front of him. That's as attacking as you're going to get. Um, so I just really admire the attitude of Plymouth to go. We're not going to, although they've changed tactically in terms of the formation, they've, if anything, they've gone more offensive rather than less so. And they're going, we know we've got match winners at the top end of the pitch. Ryan Hardy's obviously scored four goals in his first five games. We're going to do everything we can to supply them with the ball. And we're going to try and outscore you, particularly at home park. So I don't think, I think it's important to look beyond just Whitaker and Mumba as well, who are obviously the, the eye-catching, they're the joint club record signings. But they've improved the spine of the team as well, and that's starting eleven in other areas as well, which has probably gone a little bit under the radar. Yeah, definitely, really, really impressive window from Plymouth, and they've been such a well-run club over the last few years. They've they developed year on year, they've made gradual progress, and now they're eventually back where they wanted to be. Obviously, like I said on the podcast last week, thirteen years since they last played in the Championship, but the recruitment's been really smart, and like you've said, Mumbo Whitaker are obviously the standout additions. They've been really, really good so far. But the likes of Lewis Gibson, Finn Azaz, Luke Cundall, Lewis Warrington, him and Felix, just strengthened that spine, added a little bit of depth and a little bit of more quality to, to the squad that they had last year, obviously. Whitaker Mumba and Finn Azaz have all returned on, on um, well, two on permanent deals and Azaz on loan again. All key players in that promotion push last season. So I honestly believe that Plymouth have a fabulous summer. I really don't think they could have done an awful lot more. I think the only criticism you might have about Plymouth is the failure to get an out-and-out number nine through the door. The, the guy they brought in on deadline day, Mustafa Bundu from Anderlecht, apparently he's more of a winger. I've never seen him play, so I've got to hold my hands up on that. But looking at the stats, he has played more predominantly out wide throughout his career. But having said that, Ryan Hardy's had a really good start to the season, proving he can make the step up four in his first five. So there might not be such concern they didn't get that new number nine through the door. But when you've got players like Whitaker and Mumba, uh, and perhaps Mustafa Bundu, depending on how he progresses. It's clear you've got goals from all across that forward line, from out wide and through the middle. So a real lot to like about Plymouth Argyle. And like I've said, they're such a well-run club. And there were so many people that tipped them for, for relegation at the start of the season, automatically going back down. I think I had them in about 14th place. I was very, very optimistic that they would be just fine. And so far, they're proving just that. Obviously, Home Park's been a fortress They've, they've looked okay on the road. They got a draw at Watford and were very, very narrowly beaten at Birmingham. So they were too, you know very close to getting points from both of those games. So really impressed by Plymouth. The, the recruitment's been encouraging. All of the new signs have slotted in quite seamlessly. Mumba Whitaker, obviously the eye-catching duo, but Gibson, as you said, looked really good. Connor Hazard with the quality of Michael Cooper once he's back fit. He's, he's certainly done his chances no harm of trying to keep that number one spot, even though it's unlikely that he will. But a lot to like about Plymouth, really impressed. And I think it's just another sort of string to their bow in the sense that we are a club that have been run properly with a long-term vision, a long-term strategic plan. And it's just worth saying as well, with the likes of Whitaker and Mumba, if they continue to flourish in the way that they are, what's to say that Plymouth couldn't make big, big money in terms of profit on them in, in years to come? Because I honestly believe that other championship clubs, more established teams at this level, potentially have missed a trick not going for those two. Certainly Mumba, still still very much surprised that Norwich decided to let him go. And in fifth place, George, I'll let you take it away with this one because you were particularly passionate about Cardiff City and you wanted to potentially have them higher in this ranking. 
So why do you think they've had such a good summer? I think it's just a case of because of all what's gone off with embargoes and the restrictions they've been operating under, I think the recruitment for what they've achieved, for, for the circumstances they find themselves in, it is quite impressive. And admittedly, it's not the most eye-catching, glamorous signings in the world, but they've brought in sufficient quality in key areas that needed upgrading. And you just look at the likes of Carlin Grant, uh, Josh Bowler, Jonathan Panzo, who came in on deadline day, Yako Mete, the players that have been established in the championship, certainly in the case of, of Mete and, and Josh Bowler, Grant, they, they've made the championship their home and they've delivered the goals and the, the assists in recent years. Obviously, Aaron Ramsey's the, the headline edition of the summer, that bit of a fairy tale feeling to his homecoming. But I just think overall, when you look at what they were operating under, I think Cardiff had a really, really good summer. They got, I think it was eight or nine through the door. The, the loan signings, obviously, they filled five of their loan spots, but all of them with sensible signings in key areas. And we spoke, didn't we, quite in depth on the, the 1-24 to podcast before the first games of the season, where we said Cardiff have strengthened that forward area where got, scoring goals was such a big issue for them last year. And they've, they've added to every single bit of that front line with Bowler and Grant, who can play wide, Ugbo through the middle. <coughs> Excuse me. Yaku Mete, who's got the capabilities to be versatile through the middle or out wide as well. And then Ramsey's added a bit of a goal threat from midfield. So I just think Cardiff, when you consider all what's gone off there in recent years and the embargo and the restrictions they were operating under, I think Errol Bullock's come in and he's been able to really, really establish himself in terms of getting these players in. Business in is smart. And as well as that, they're not essentially transfer business. They've tied Mark McGuinness down to a long-term contract. Perry NG as well. Ryan Wintle. They've, they've made important moves this summer in terms of just sort of getting the squad set for both the here and now and the long term. And yeah, the start to the season has been a little bit indifferent. We've seen the good and the bad of Cardiff so far. Only one win in their first five games. But we saw them go to Leeds, go into a 2-0 lead, go to Ipswich and go into a 2-0 lead. So if they can just sort themselves out defensively and perhaps their game management, they have got the capabilities to compete in this division and not necessarily be flirting with relegation all season long. So quite encouraging addition to me. I mean, we've not exactly seen the best of the likes of Grant and Bowler yet, but once they're up to speed and you know the international break, the first one of the season can be really important in just that little bit of time on the train ground, just adjusting and getting to know people and getting to learn the manager's traits and what he wants. Once we restart again in, in a week's time or so, we're going to see, I think, big upgrade from Cardiff. So really encouraged by their business. And I think, to be fair, I don't think many, for the circumstances they were under, had a better summer than them. I think for me with Cardiff, you've just got to say what was the main objectives before the summer, and that was to add goals, to add creativity um, and to add depth. And they've done that, particularly in forward areas with Ramsey, Bowler, Grant, Ugbo, Mete. I think Jonathan Panzo is probably an underrated signing from deadline day, which I think he'll look good alongside Mark McGuinness on that left-hand side. Um, So, yeah, Cardiff have been good. They've added what they needed to, and um, ultimately that should hopefully see them finish higher in the table this year. Let's turn our attentions to the bottom now, George, and teams that we think have perhaps left themselves a little bit short. And in 20th place, we've gone with um, Rotherham United. feel a little bit bad doing this because we have to build in the context of what the expectations are with Rotherham and the budgets they are working with. And they have um, broke their club record to sign Sam Nombe, who I think is a good addition. I think he will offer them a different type of threat with, with pacing behind, direct runner to go off. Jordan Hugel, which is what I felt they were lacking. When I, I think of Rotherham at their best last season, it was when they had Hugel down the middle, they got Ogbenig down one side and they got Tariq Fosu down the other. 
with pace and with directness to go beyond the striker. And I think they've missed that a little bit in the opening weeks of the season without either of those two wide forwards that I've just spoken about being at the club anymore. Fred Onyedim has done that in, in bits and parts when he's been available. Obviously, he's had a, a suspension in there. But I think Nombe, whether that's playing sort of tucked in off that right-hand side or whether he goes to a back three and plays 3-5-2, I think he will be a good foil for um, Jordan Hugo. But as ever with Reverend, there's a concern where the goals are going to come from. I do think they've got perhaps more goals in midfield than previous years. I think Cafu's capable of scoring goals. I think um, Adolphin as well. Um, and Rathbone usually chips in with a few as well. So I do think they've got more goals in midfield than they've had previously. But it's impossible to say when the market's there shopping in, you can say that any of them are going to be a guaranteed hit ultimately when it comes down to that. I think they've been smart with considering the money they've got. But... Ultimately, they've not done business that makes me go, wow, they're definitely going to be clear of relegation this season, which maybe that's unfair to even consider that they could do that because of the budgets they are. They are the smallest club in the championship now and usually are. But still, there's always going to be a little bit of unease about where the goals are going to come from for me. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. And it's it's sort of harsh doing this because it is going to ruffle feathers of the, the fans of the clubs that we're going to mention in this section Obviously, we've got to try and balance it out with the full 24 teams. And obviously, we did debate, didn't we, doing a full 1-24 to of this, but we said it would just take far too long and it would be a lot more planning involved. But I think Rotherham arguably have had the best of the worst, if that makes any sort of sense. Because I don't mean this was any disrespect to Rotherham, but of course, they are every year expected to be relegated. And I actually tipped them to stay up this season when we did our 1-24s. to I, I backed them to just stay keep their heads above water. They brought in 10 new players over the course of the summer. None of them sort of make you stand back and look in, in awe of what they've done. But I think there's a sense of solidity and sensible approach to what they've done in the signings of the likes of Cafu, um, Grant Hall, experience, Fred Onyedimra on loan from Luton. I think that's a really good sign. I would argue that's one of the best of the lot. I could, I could have seen a lot of middle-of-the-road championship clubs with sort of mid-table expectations going for him this season. I'm quite a fan of Onyedimra. But Sam Nombe, obviously, is, is the headline addition, arriving quite late in the window from Exeter City. Obviously, Matt Taylor worked with him previously. I think he got 19 goals and seven assists, I think it was off the top of my head, last season in League One. So there's certainly a talent in there. He's he's at the age of 24 now. He's got his best year still to come. Uh, never played at the championship level before. So I honestly believe Nombe... In fact, I should say, rephrase, actually, he has played at Championship level before. He had a brief loan spell with Luton Town where it didn't quite work out as he would have hoped. So I stand corrected on that one. But in terms of a long-term Championship um, career, he's not had one of those yet. So hopefully that'll come with Rotherham. But I just think Rotherham, for the market they're shopping in, like you said, it's it's fairly restricted for, for the budget that they've got, what they're what their capabilities are as a football club, what who the personnel that they can attract to that football club, because nine times out of ten, they are going to be fighting the threat of relegation. But overall, I think the recruitment's been solid. And listening to a few Rotherham fans after their win over Norwich last weekend, they were absolutely singing the praise of Cafu, saying he was absolutely superb in midfield. So he's certainly got the potential to be a dominant force in the engine room. He's, he's 30 years of age, plenty of experience under his belt. He'll marshal that midfield. And then obviously there's the likes of Nombe on your dimmer in attacking areas who they'll be hoping that they can get the goals that have obviously not always been there for Rotherham. So I think it's been a reasonably solid summer for Rotherham. I think they've achieved a lot of good things. 
The loss of Ben Wiles is obviously a bit of a blow. Likewise, Chidozio Benny, if they'd managed to retain those two, which was always going to be an uphill struggle, it would have been an even better summer for them. They've lost two very influential players there. But I think overall, for the market that Rotherham are shopping in and what they're restricted to, I think Matt Taylor can be reasonably satisfied with what they've managed to achieve over the last few months. I think the worry is whenever Rotherham lose a player like Nogbene, like Volks and like Ajay in previous years as well, because they've got such a limited budget and also if you come into Rotherham in the Championship, you're going to be know you're going to be near the bottom of the food chain and battling for survival. It limits who they can bring in and sometimes the money can't attract the quality of the player that has gone out. And I think that's always my concern with Rotherham is can they replace them in that sense? Um, so we'll have to see. So they have to take some risks and Sam Nombe is a risk, for example, to spend a million pounds on for Rotherham. That's a lot of money. But I also see why they've done it. He's worked with Matt Taylor before. Um, so I feel like we spoke more positively about Rotherham, even though we've put them at, at the top end of this bottom pile. In 21st or fourth bottom, uh, we've got Swansea City, George. They've obviously not made a great start to the season under Michael Duff. And a lot of this has got to be about the departure of Joel Perrault and the lack of incoming to replace him. They signed Jerry Yates earlier in the summer, but in my mind, I see that as more of a replacement for Obafemi, who they never really replaced from January previous. With Perrault going, not only did he give them the goals inside the 18-yard box, but you also had someone that was creative, someone that could shoot from range and create something out of nothing. If Swansea were playing against a low block, for example, he's someone that could take shots from the edge of the area with good quality. They have made some good signings elsewhere in the pitch. I quite like Josh Tynum. I'm surprised that Stoke were happy to let him leave. Uh, Mayoka Kurazesi, he's a, a new signing coming in. He's a striker, but someone we know nothing about. And for me, I feel like Mike Duff has got a weaker squad ultimately than they had last year. You're also going through a transitional period of changing from a super niche and specific style in Russell Martin to someone in Mike Duff who's not going to be as possession heavy. And that means they could have done with strengthening rather than weakening the squad. And yes, they kept hold of Nathan Wood. But goals are my concern, really, with Swansea. There's a lot on the shoulders of Jerry Yates, who I don't think was as good a signing as a lot of people seem to think. I don't know if I've got a bee in my bonnet about Jerry Yates. I think he's a good championship player. I think some think he's better than he is. So I'm not sure if he's the only player I can see in that squad that can definitely get double figures. Concerns me a little bit. Jamal Lowe's got quality. We know that he signed on loan on deadly day, but didn't have a great loan at Queen's Park Rangers last year. And he's not played a great deal of football in the last 18 months. Um, probably not since he was on loan at Swansea and was scoring the goals with Andre Ayew on loan. So we'll have to see how he adapts to playing week in, week out again. I'm just a bit concerned about goals. I know Charlie Patino will add some creativity in midfield, but I think it's, I think it's obvious what the big issue is for Swansea with me. Yeah, and I think I've got to agree, to be fair. I mean, the loss of Joel Perrault, it's, it's one of the biggest losses that any championship club could have experienced this summer with how good he was over the last two years since that arrival from PSV Eindhoven. He was, he was phenomenal. He just went from strength to strength, month by month, pretty much. And obviously, he wasn't the only player that Swansea lost in the summer, obviously. Ryan Manning left, Joel Lottabadure left from the defence and Obviously, Olivier and Chan, they lost a little bit of quality in midfield with him. And Michael Obafemi went to Burnley permanently. And, you know, they've lost some important players there, Swansea. And don't get me wrong, some of the recruitment in patches has been, it's been sensible. I think the, the way they've bolstered the full-back positions in, in quite a heavy way in terms of the signs of Josh Key, 
Josh Tymon, you mentioned, and another player that came on a deadline day was Christian Pedersen back in the championship, experienced left back. And I just think Swansea, they've they've almost possibly strengthened a little bit too much in the wrong places, if, if that makes sense. Obviously, you've got to get players in to give yourself a good strength of depth because obviously we know the championship, it's a, it's a 46-game slog year after year, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, most weeks. It's a really, really hard league to to balance and to manage. So you've got to appreciate that. But like you said, it's just a big question of who scores the goals that have been lost with Joel Perot's exit. That is the big conundrum because Jamal Lowe, Jerry Yates, both experienced at this level, both will get goals. But are they going to get 20, 20 a season? Probably not. I think Jamal Lowe, the most he's ever got in a season in his career in the EFL is 15. And that was with Portsmouth in League One. He got 14 in the championship with Swansea in 2020-21, uh, which wasn't a bad return, I suppose, when he can play wide as well. So I do think Jamal Lowe and Jerry Yates are good signings when you when you look at them individually. But when you compare to what Swansea have lost in Perot, they're not quite at the same level, are they? I think we can all agree they're not that standard of striker. So it's going to be difficult to see where Swansea get the goals from. We could very much be proven wrong. We shall see. Other signings, though, I think have been quite good. I mean, Carl Rushworth in goal. He was very, very good on loan last season at Lincoln City. Quite impressed by that addition, 22-year-old on loan from Brighton. And we know what Brighton are like when it comes to producing players. So there's potentially a player in there. Charlie Patino as well. Nobody's got more assists in the division than him so far this season. He's got three already. So when you break Swansea down, it's sort of a case of some good signings in places, but sort of big holes being left in others. So... Bit of a mixed one for Swansea, I think it's fair to say. Some are signings good, some not quite as eye-catching as they probably needed to be. And obviously the loss of Pirro just compounds that a little bit more. So, yeah, going to be interesting to see how Swansea develop. Obviously, like you said, not have the best start to the season in terms of results under Michael Duff. They do need to step it up, but it's always going to be a bit of a process when you go from such a one drastic style of play to another. So you've got to allow them time to to adjust and we'll we'll see what happens after the international break. So... Yeah, I think overall Swansea, some good additions in places, but some big gaps being left in others. In 22nd, George, we've gone with Middlesbrough. Um, I feel quite strongly about this one because I think that basically, judging Middlesbrough this season, I think you need to forget everything that happened last year and treat. Imagine they finished 12th and Michael Carrick's just coming in the summer. Because I think any raised expectations based on last year, and I'm guilty of this because I put them second in my one to twenty fours. I think this is a totally different project to what it was last year. When you look at the caliber of player that's gone out the door in terms of the loans, they've lost Aaron Ramsey, they've lost Cameron Archer, Ryan Giles has left. They've completely gone down a different route. They've not gone for the proven championship players that can get you promoted, and they've gone more of a Sunderland model. They've gone slightly older than Sunderland, but still with with big risks. You know, Morgan Rogers is probably the most known out of him, Latte Laff, Engel, Vandenberg, and uh, Bangura, who they signed at left back on deadline day. They've signed very little proven quality, and these players are going to need time to adapt. So if you're judging Michael Carrick based on the expectation there are certainty for the top six and pushing for the top two, I think you're going to be very underwhelmed and, and mistaken because... Middlesbrough start to the season sort of sums up for where they are for me because I think they've been better than the points tally would suggest. I don't think that they're going to be a bottom three team. Of course not. But I don't think this is anywhere near a squad that you can guarantee 
will be in the top six anymore because it's just not like for like replacements. They've gone for more of a project, players that they're going to need to develop over time that could be top end championship players, but they're certainly not right now. And they've had last season players that are top end championship players. And in most of the cases, when you look that Archer's gone to Sheffield United, Ramsey's gone to Burnley. Uh, Ryan Giles has gone to Luton. All those players have gone into the Premier League. So they've come a category down in terms of the quality they've brought players in. So to judge Michael Carrick on last season, I think you've just got to wipe away what happened last year. It's a completely different situation. Um, And I'm a little bit surprised at the lack of ambition of Middlesbrough, if I'm honest, because I think they didn't need a lot to kick on again. But they've never been a team that's been good defensively, even during their best runs under Carrick, the, the attitude is will score more goals than you. You obviously have sold Chugarak Pommy was the top goal scorer. Um Luce O'Brien I think's a good good signing in midfield. They've obviously got another um season to develop Hayden Hackney who's come into the team and done really well. Um first under Leo Persevich in fairness, but then Carrick after that. But defensively they've looked pretty shambolic to be honest in the opening of the season. They weren't very good defensively last year and they've missed they're now missing all of that cutting edge at the top end of the pitch. I'm not saying these sort of projects are bad or bad it is because we've, we've heaped loads of praise on Sunderland for the way they've gone about it. So I don't want to be hip- hypocritical. I'm just surprised at the timing that the Middlesbrough Transfer Committee has gone. Rather than kick on, they've decided to almost take a step back and go for a more of a develop, developmental project. I don't know whether that's been led by Steve Gibson in the sense of that he hasn't got the money or doesn't want to invest the money in players that um, were ready now. But I feel like a lot of momentum has been lost at Middlesbrough over the summer with the change of direction they've gone in. And if Middlesbrough finish in the top 10 now, I think that would be quite a good season considering we've just got to reassess everything that we knew about Middlesbrough from last season because it's just a different squad entirely. Yeah, I think you've you've summed that up really well. It's, it's such a drastic shift, isn't it, from what was done last season to what has been done this summer. It's a... It's a complete polar opposite to the approach they had last year. When you look at the players that they brought in on loan, for instance, last year, the likes of Cameron Archer, Alex Mowat, Ryan Giles, Rodrigo Muniz, then obviously Stefan and, and Ramsey, they were all reasonably well heard of household names, weren't they, between the championship and obviously Moon, um, Stefan and Ramsey obviously were breaking through at their respective Premier League clubs. And it was, it was a squad that was seemingly built for a immediate promotion tilt. Whereas this year, like you said, it's almost like they've gone for a long-term vision and the signings they've made, though some of them are obviously well-known and quite well-respected at this level, such as Senny Dieng and Lewis O'Brien and Sam Greenwood, obviously coming from Leeds, he's had, you know, fits and starts here and there. He's burst onto the scene a little bit at Leeds, but there's a lot of them, like the guys that have come in from overseas, the likes of Sam Silfera, Tom Glover, Lucas Engel, Emmanuel Latte-Lath, Alex Bangura, who are complete unknown quantities. And Middlesbrough, obviously, like you've said, have had a really poor start to the season. Do I think they will turn things around and start to kick on? Yes, I do. I don't think they will get into a position come next April, May, where Middlesbrough are in danger of dropping into League One. I really don't think that will be the case. I think they've got more than enough quality to start picking up results. But I think the recruitment has just been a tad underwhelming, if I'm totally honest. You look at those signs and break them down and for what Middlesbrough expected after what, well, certainly what we expected after what they did last year, obviously getting to the playoffs. I think it's fair to say we expected more. The Middlesbrough fans probably expected a lot more in terms of familiar names, household names. And I think 
And when you look at it and sort of isolate Lewis O'Brien, for instance, he's probably the sort of mould Middlesbrough fans would have expected the club to be shopping in all summer long. Players of his quality at his level who are likely to be standout figures at this level. And arguably, out of all the signs they've brought in, brought in both permanently and on loans, he, he is the headline addition of what they've done throughout the whole summer. And there isn't really anybody else, certainly from what we've seen at this level in the past, that is is on the same wavelength as him. He he is a far superior player to what else they've brought in, in terms of who we know. But Latte Lafler, obviously, coming from Atalanta, he's been tasked with trying to fill that void of Juba Akpom. And Akpom, we both agreed at the time that Middlesbrough made the right decision to sell him. The offer was very, very enticing for a player that, with respect, had only ever done anything in one season in his career. He'd never done anything else apart from what he achieved last year. And was there a... Was there a risk that he wouldn't be able to repeat that? It's possible for a player that's only ever done it once. It could have been a complete fluke. We'll never know. But, like I say, I don't think Middlesbrough signings overall are a particularly high standard for what you would expect for Borough. But if you say these signings have been made by Rotherham, for instance, you'd be really, really impressed. And it is almost as though Middlesbrough potentially could become the victims of their own success last year. So, like you said, I think it probably is best to sort of white... uh, so uh, maybe, you know, wipe the slate clean, forget last season and now look ahead to sort of a long-term vision for Middlesbrough because Michael Carrick was drafted in, obviously, last October with the objective of trying to keep them in the division. Nobody expected them to go on the run that they went on. And almost now, it's almost as though they've gone back to where they were when he came in, sort of a long-term appointment to progress gradually. Whereas, obviously, last season, they were on the cusp of getting promotion. So... We'll see if it works out for the better for Middlesbrough. There's room for growth in a lot of these signings. Some of them are quite young, but we'll see. So, yeah, not the best not the best summer for Borough, but probably save slightly with the addition of Lewis O'Brien in terms of being ranked a little bit lower because he's certainly the headline addition. But for Michael Carrick, there's a lot of work to be done there and a lot of gelling that squad together now. They've lost some very, very big players. George, who have we got as the second worst, uh, the team that's in the second worst transfer business this summer? Well, we've gone for Sheffield Wednesday in 23rd spot. Obviously, a newly promoted team to the Championship after a couple of years in League One. And obviously, Wednesday arguably experienced the most turbulent summer of of all 24 Championship clubs, to be fair. Certainly the most turbulent of the three that got promotion from League One last season, along with Ipswich Town and Plymouth Argyle. But Wednesday, obviously, they they let Darren Moore go. Daquan Chancery and him failing to reach an agreement on a, on a new contract. So that was the end of that chapter. And... And obviously came a few weeks of uncertainty and Chisco Munoff got the job and then there was quite a wait for the first signing. Reese James came in from Blackpool on a permanent basis. And then a flurry of a flurry of additions followed, mainly from overseas, the likes of Juan Delgado, Paul Valentin, um, Momo Diaby, and then Anthony Musaba and, and Jedi Kasama, the two youngsters that have come in from, from France, from Monaco and PSG respectively. And then we saw a few sort of more familiar names at this level in Ashley Fletcher signed on loan from Watford. And then on deadline day, John Buckley and Jeff Hendrick coming in on loan from Blackburn and Newcastle, respectively. So it's been a bit of a scattergun approach to Wednesday, Wednesday's summer. I think we can all agree. It's been quite unexpected, quite different, and certainly very different to what you probably would have expected if Darren Moore had been at the helm. And I just feel Wednesday have chucked a sort of a, a load of stuff at a wall and hoping that some of it sticks, to be quite honest. That's the way it feels for Wednesday because when you break it down individually, the likes of Deshaun Bernard and Musaba, uh, Jedi Kasama as well, 
there's a lot of room for growth, particularly in those three. They're all young players, and Masaba and Gasama have arrived from, with quite a good reputation from Monaco and PSG, and two fast, direct wingers with a lot of lot of hype about them. Both very, very young. But Wednesday not quite done enough for me in terms of strengthening that forward area. I think that's the big concern for Wednesday. Obviously, Lee Gregory and Michael Smith got a lot of goals for Wednesday last season. I think it was something like 35, 36 between them. But when you look at that now, Wednesday are lacking pace and trickery in those forward areas. Josh Windass, arguably their most mobile attacker in terms of central players. But he's playing a lot of times out wide. And then as a 10, it's a bit hit and miss for him. So Wednesday did miss a trick for me, not getting in that elusive number nine. Ashley Fletcher's come in, obviously, from Watford. Not the best record in recent years. Not likely to be a 20-25-goal-a-season 20, striker, more of a hold-up man that's going to bring others into play. So I think Wednesday will be... Well, they certainly are. They are shopping in the in the free agent market for a number nine. Andre Gray's been linked with it, and Munoz has worked with him in the past. So, yeah, quite a lot of work for Wednesday to do. And like I say, it just feels like a very much a a hit-and-miss sort of strategy that Wednesday have taken on. doesn't seem to be a lot, an awful lot of sense to it. It's been very very mixed mod, if you like. And yeah, just a little bit underwhelming because I think if Darren Moore had been at the helm, I think Wednesday would have gone for more sort of established championship players. And Brooke Norton Cuffey was one that was mentioned quite early on in the summer while, while Darren Moore was still in charge. And I thought if that's the sort of market Wednesday going to be looking in, then they, they've got the potential to have a, quite a good first season back in the championship. So... Yeah, I think the recruitment, though it's still early days and things can change, I just think it's a bit hit and miss for Wednesday and a little bit uninspiring in certain areas of the team. Yeah, I think goals are a big concern, aren't they? I think also they've now changed to playing a... They wanted to play a back four, clearly, under Cisco. They've signed a lot of young, raw wingers and then they've gone and reverted back to a 3-4-3 where they won't play wingers. So it's just a bit muddled. It's been an awful summer, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Um, although they got a good point against Leeds, there's not a lot of positivity around the club. The transfer window has been filled with risks. There's very few signings that you can say, yep, they're definitely going to be a success and they're definitely going to help keep Sheffield Wednesday in the division. So for me, a bit of a no-brainer to have them near the bottom yeah. and it's a, say they have... Yeah, just lastly on Wednesday, but it's a difficult one because obviously the, the, the fans have been crying out for the club to change their model in terms of going for younger players because Wednesday in the last few years have tended to go for the experienced older heads like they did in League One with the likes of Will Volks, Michael Smith, uh, Lee Gregory, that sort of player, the, the players that have been there and done it. So in Wednesday's defence, they have... They have lowered the average age of the squad a little bit this summer with the likes of... I, I agree with that, but why have they then signed wingers from yeah. abroad? Yeah. That I fully agree with, to change the shape. That is a question. That is a big question. Of course, only Chisco Munoz knows the answer to that question. That is obviously only one that he knows the answer to. So, yeah, Musaba and Gusama, when you look at their stats and their potential, they do look like exciting players on paper. But if you're not playing a system that suits them, it kind of defeats the object a little bit. I think John I'll, Buckley and I'll Jeff Hendrick on deadline day are solid, by the yeah, way. I know why they've done it. What's happened is Cisco's wanted to play a 4 3 3 or a variation of and realised his centre halves aren't good enough to play in a back four, yeah. so he's had to play in a back three to do that. But then all the signings that they've made in forward areas that are better playing in wide areas, that's now completely ruined it. Yeah. So uh, that's what's happened. I know, I know what's happened, but. It just it's a muddled squad. I do think John Buckley will come in and um add a little bit of quality and creativity like alongside Bannon. But again, is the what's the balance of the midfield gonna be? Are we gonna play Bannon, Buckley and Byers? I don't think so personally. I think you must lack in 
someone combative there. The balance they had a lovely balance with Volks, Bannon, and Byers last year. Volks mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be fancied. Um, they've not really signed. They've signed Momo Diaby, but he's got injured straight away. Yeah, so I don't know it's a shame that. Because I don't he know got if they've quite got a lot of rave reviews on his debut. Field. Yeah, Momo Diaby was quite well praised after his debut against Preston. A lot of people said he looked really, really good. So Wednesday have lost that little bit of bite for now, haven't they? But yeah, Hendrick, Buckley, Byers, Bannon, Volks. They've got a lot of options in that midfield now. They have got a hell of a lot to work with. But like I say, I think for me, the big concern, big concern for Wednesday is where do the goals come from? Gregory and Smith are good poachers. But if you're not supplying them in the right areas, they're not going to carry the ball at the pitch and be progressive runners to score your goals. I think that's the problem Wednesday have got. And then the team that we think had the worst transfer window of the summer is Huddersfield Town. And I think similar to what I said about Cardiff last year, uh, last year earlier in the podcast, what was the primary objective of Huddersfield going into the window? And that has to be adding creativity and adding goals. And they haven't done that. They haven't signed a striker, which I find absolutely bonkers obviously there's been some uncertainty with the ownership and the takeover which has um obviously meant it's a transitional period for the club but the the signing of ben wiles is eye-catching sure not a goal scorer particularly he can chip in from midfield but can't say he's definitely gonna get double figures berg zorg's a player that we don't know a lot about scored obviously against west brom in the 2-1 win at the weekend so it's a positive start um tom edwards is coming at right back did they need a right back? Debatable. And then they've signed Chris Maxwell as a secondary goalkeeper. It's not a lot to get excited about, is it? And they've just not... I can't believe they've not signed a striker, to be honest, because I know he really rates Danny Ward. Um, but he's a little bit injury prone and he's, only, he's he's not prolific, is he, at championship level? He's bombed out Jordan Rhodes, which I haven't got an issue with. But who are they going to replace him with? Keen Harrett seems to be the player that Warnock likes from the academy, who's um, stepping up. He had a loan, I think, at Bradford uh, last year or maybe the year before. They've got Kyle Hudlin as well, who's the uh, the big six-foot-nine striker who I saw score a header at uh, London Stadium in the National League playoff final 18 months ago. So it's hardly a, an, um, a star-studded supporting cast for Danny Ward if he does get injured. And I, I just feel like Huddersfield haven't addressed the obvious issue, which was they needed more goals in the team. Yeah, definitely. You've you've hit the nail on the head and that is the main issue for this Huddersfield team. Where do the goals come from? I mean, when you break it down individually, Josh Karoma, Sorba Thomas, they are decent players on their day, but they're not going to be players that are going to plunder 15, 20 goals a season. There's no doubt about that. So Huddersfield are lacking distinctly that big, powerful, elusive number nine and they just haven't got it. And the rest of the recruitment has been just uninspiring. I mean, four signings for a team that yeah, all right, they they did stave off the relegation threat quite comfortably in the end last season, but for the majority of the season, they were absolutely atrocious, let's be honest. They were they were awful. How Neil Warnock managed to keep them in the division is was is still amazing. It's a, one of his best achievements, without a doubt. But to have brought in, in terms of who we know to the Championship, Tom Edwards, Chris Maxwell and Ben Wiles, though the Ben Wiles edition is a very good sign, I must say I'm surprised he wasn't snapped up with a by a Championship club with higher expectations and higher ambitions, I must admit. But overall, it's a bit, it's a bit underwhelming, isn't it? It's really uninspiring what they've done, and it's not as if the squad didn't need an awful lot of additions and just one or two bits here and there. They needed a lot of strength, and you, you look at their squad list now, and there's just nothing there in terms of eye-catching talent to make you get excited, is there? And it just wonders where 
the quality is going to come from him. It's why Huddersfield this season are going to be so reliant, I think, on the tactical nous of Neil Warnock and his management style and his ability to fire players up rather than relying on star-studded individual talent to win games. And obviously, they got that first one on the board at West Brom, so they'll be hoping for more of the same in that sense. But in terms of the actual quality of this team, I would say it is certainly running it close for arguably the worst squad in the division. I think Rotherham have got a better team than them at the minute. I think Rotherham have got more about them in forward areas to get excited about the likes of Onya Dimmer, Sam Nombe and, and Jordan Hugel. Whereas Huddersfield, they just, it's sort of a lot of names just jumbled up with, with different profiles in terms of obviously Danny Ward still being there. Feels like he's been a Huddersfield player forever, to be honest with you. Obviously, yeah, he, he was there before, then went back and he's had what? couple of good seasons. He obviously was key in the Carlos Corbran year when they got to the playoff final and lost to Forest. He had a good season that year. But aside from that, what really has he done in, in a Huddersfield shirt in the last few years? So, yeah, it's just a case of where do the goals come from for Huddersfield? That's the concern. Like I say, I think they're going to be so dependent on the, the management and the tactical now of Warnock to, to get wins, opposed to being able to rely on individual quality to, to come up in big moments. And that rounds off this week's podcast. Tweet us at ChampChatPod24. Let us know who you think has had the best window. Let's have your top five, top and bottom of the window. Uh, and good to zoom out, George, and just have a little look uh, more in depth at the, the transfer window in total. Of course, we'll be back next week um, for more match reaction as the championship returns. Thank you for listening. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed and you'll get a po- your podcast from us every single week. And as I say, follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. Massive thank you once again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the sunshine, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.